Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to give out some awards called the Derpies. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast and what the Derpies are. Uh, well, what we like to do on this podcast is we like to talk about games. And the Derpies are our end-of-the-year super special award show. Uh, the, the format is pretty simple because we like to... I, I don't really know what we like to do. We like to make things up on the spot. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, the categories are just invented. Uh, and uh, so one of us is going to go. We're going to list a category and our game of the year for that category. Uh, and then the other person has to pick a game that they played this year that fits that freaking category on the fly. Because why not? Although uh, we are going to lead with our overall game of the year. Uh, yeah, that is is tradition. Uh, Um, as is fucking tradition. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I guess that's, that's the format-ish. All right, well, let's, let's jump into it then. Buddy, what was your game of the year? (laughs) My game of the year, uh, I wonder if this will surprise people. I was gonna say, like, this shouldn't surprise anyone, but actually it might catch some people off guard. My game of the year was Was it Mass Effect 2? Yes, it was Mass Effect 2. No, it was Total War Warhammer. (laughs) Um, I don't know that it would have been game of the year without the Blood Elf, sorry, not the Blood Elf, the Wood Elf, uh, the Wood Elf update, but they really sold me, um, they really sold me on, on this, on this Wood Elf update. This is the game that it feels like Total War has been building to its entire career. All of the Total War games that I've played thus far, uh, which I guess are, you know, which I guess are a good amount, I've basically been on board for everything they've released since Total War Shogun um, 2, Total War Shogun 2. Um, but Warhammer as a as a universe, as a system, uh, as a place where they get to really stretch their wings, uh, kind of creatively and craft as much uh, as much of a game as they want into the different into the different races and their play styles on the campaign map. This is this is this is peak total war in a lot of ways. I'm sure that there are going to be some diehards out there who uh, who would say something like Total War Shogun 2. Uh, there are people who still play, you know, Napoleon, they still play Medieval 2 or whatever. Rome um, 1 even. Yeah, Rome 1. I mean, you know, I, I like Rome 2 a lot. I'm really going to go to bat for Rome 2. But, you know, Attila's great. But there's a certain amount of constraint that comes with those historical setting games, right? Because, you know, and I think they deserve a lot of credit for this. The Total War guys do their fucking homework, right? Where they, they do everything they can to make sure that, yeah, the game is a game. And, you know, you're upgrading your units with, you know, level 3 bronze swords and everything like that. But it is also... Uh, kind of true to form for the history of it, right? There, there. This isn't a game like like Civilization where everything is like the history of it is super abstracted, right? You know, these are you know, triarii are real Roman units, right? And they have real function and all of this other kind of stuff. But Total War Warhammer allows them to take inspiration from the tabletop game. Right, uh, but really, kind of go nuts when it comes to some of these playstyle decisions. Um, for uh, uh, I guess the most 
defining way I, I see this is the different kind of play style in something like the empire right which is a very conventional total war kind of like you conquer a bunch of land and you upgrade your you know your things and you're producing all of this and you get multiple stacks and then you get doom stacks and you're running around with all of your doom stacks shitting on whatever right but then you also have the wood elves who it's like okay they have double the normal building slots you know, wood elves are tall, right? Where the, something like maybe the empire is kind of like wide. They have double the normal building slots in their home three districts or whatever. Um, and so you, you know, you are building these super, super tall, super, super powerful uh, kind of like powerhouse single, single territory. Um, but all of the territories that they can take over outside, right? You can only build one, you know, it, it, it is one building deep. Um, and those, and the garrison is tiny and they can just get kind of like absolutely destroyed. Um, so I don't know. I think that, I think that that kind of stuff has made it, uh, I think it's the best, uh, uh, I think it's the best strategy game of the year. It's a game that I have poured probably the most amount of my, uh, uh, the most amount of my time except for World of Warcraft. Well, I guess actually, I guess League of Legends in the beginning of the year, maybe. Um, but you know, I'm over a hundred hours into it. I don't know. I think, uh, I think, uh, Total War Warhammer, you, you did, you did the job. I'm excited for what's coming up. Bretonia, uh, all of the other stuff, the free, the free LC changes, uh, things like, you know, regiments of renown, man. I, I, I am really, really, really on board. Uh, I'm really on board for the future. So yeah. <coughs> game of the so, so you mentioned that, um, this game only really captured game of the year for you with this Wood Elf DLC. Um, and, and not that I, I think that this disqualifies in any way, but what, what kind of change, is it just the Wood Elf race that really spoke to you and really grabbed you? Or were there change, systematic changes that went along with that you think that improved the game? The Wood Elf DLC proved to me that they were willing to ride uh the warhammer train to its maximum potential right you know they are they're going at at full steam ahead kind of um so you know i i had played a campaign of every of the of the release races all five right uh the empire dwarves uh greenskins uh vampire counts and chaos and all of those do their due justice right they do their duty essentially when it comes to capturing kind of what makes the race the race uh, but i think that like the biggest thing that i have been waiting for is to see kind of the creativity of the studio like unleashed i i suppose on uh on these kind of, you know, like, because, like, listen, right, you know, I played, I played Attila as the, the I think the Geats, uh, which is kind of like a Viking forefathers faction, um, so you start up kind of in, like, you know, Scandinavia, Denmark, uh, they have, they have really good naval units, and so they're running around shooting on kids with naval, uh, naval units, uh, and all this other kind of stuff, that, that faction, um, was fun but it didn't it didn't necessarily feel all that different from a playthrough as you know uh what what the western roman empire right because even though you know you think of these things as being very different because obviously they have small minutia changes right the geats make a ton of money through raiding and so generally the way to best build their economy is to just be sending out these stacks to just fuck on territory uh 
and and raise shit and sack cities uh, for free and everything like that. Um, but at the end of the day, the capture territory, build up that territory until it's level five, protect your territory. All of that stuff is the same, right? All of that stuff is that you know it, it's like rote total war and there were variations in how that played between the, the you know the empire the vamp counts uh the dwarves right you know the green skins for instance don't have a very high ceiling but they have a very high floor and so it's easy for them to kind of like get off the ground conquer a lot of territory um and make it, you know, and, and make it worthwhile to them very quickly, right? Uh, whereas something like the Dwarves or the Empire, it's harder for them to take, capture a lot of territory because it takes a lot of turns for their their economy to kind of, like, ramp up and to, like, you know, but properly... Um, territory is a big kind of revenue sink and time sink um, and, like, public order sink when you first capture it, but... As you invest time in it, it starts becoming more and more rewarding. And as you and as it gets up to that kind of like level five territory for factions like uh, the dwarves really feel this way to me. Then, you know, you've added it to your empire. It's super solid. You have a really powerful garrison. Um, and, and then you can inchworm yourself up onto the onto the next kind of piece right um and so there were all of these hints at this kind of gameplay right the the vampire counts for instance are a very tall you know like they're a very tall empire too and it's very methodical because you're about waiting out vampire corruption on people you're trying to like corrupt out uh your these adjacent provinces you're sending in your you you have you have more specialists uh than the other than the other factions and so you're doing a lot of stuff with kind of agents it feels very deceptive right um but it was the Wood Elves that came out that was so fully fledged committed to like, all right, if you are going to play the Wood Elves, you're going to play uh, a hit and run style, right? You're not going to be building armies in the same way that you, you know, you have your, your melee units and then you have your cavalry units that swing around, right? You can't, you can't fight a battle as Wood Elves like you fight a battle as Vamp Counts, like you fight a battle as, as Dwarves, right? Um, and that that differential is what is what really sold it to me right you know there's no such thing even if the units are different you fight a lot of battles as rome in rome 2 in the same way that you would as carthage in rome 2 if that makes sense the the tactics of the battles are very similar depending on what faction you've chosen yeah in you know that, that, that makes sense yeah, yeah in warhammer it makes sense to me because you know at, at the end of the day for for the most part, if they are historical games, and human nations more or less fought similarly to other nations in their region, right. and so you, you, it's a limit to the variation. I see what you're saying that that with fantasy you can go all out and change. Yeah, everything, and, yeah. And, and I've been waiting for like a really good fantasy game like this too. I've played Endless Legend, which didn't quite hit the mark. I played Age of Wonders three, which didn't quite hit the mark. Total War Warhammer is the first one to just hit this nail on the fucking head, and it just feels so good for it to have like you know, really realized its potential. I mean, it, it started, real, you know, quote-unquote, realizing its potential. The base game, I, I don't want to, like, undersell the base game. It's not like the base game was bad until the Wood Elf DLC, right, like, sold me on it. Um, but the base game, 
it had the inklings that they were moving in this direction, right? The vampire counts don't have missile units, right? You really have to change up how you play your game when you're not thinking about missile units, right? Dwarves don't have cavalry. You have to think, you you have to really be approaching. I had such a hard time playing the dwarves. I had to restart my dwarf campaign like three or four times because I didn't realize how reliant I was on cavalry in order to win my battles. I, I was coming right off of, you know, I was coming right off of uh, a Greenskins playthrough um, where it was just like, oh my god, I had no idea how much, how reliant I was on these kind of tactics, on forcing chain routes by you know, by flank, flank charging with my, uh, uh, with my cavalry, right, and so the, the Wood Elves, the Wood Elves is where they fully realized this potential, they went balls to the wall, and they said, you know what, we're going to just radically alter the way that you, you the way that you play a Total War game, this is not what you've expected, this is not the Total War you've ever seen before, um, and I'm just, and I was just really, I was just really, really on board for it, uh, I have now played a campaign as I have be I beat a Beastman campaign uh, as well. Uh, and I actually like the Beastman a lot too, but they are worse than the than the Wood Elves, uh, kind of by a wide margin, actually. Uh, because the Beastmen are kind of like a hodgepodge of chaos and greenskins. Um, but anyway, so yeah, that's my, that's my game of the year. Total War Warhammer is my game of the year. Awesome. Well, my game of the year is, uh, uh, which should be a surprise to no one if you listen to this podcast in the beginning of the year, is Dark Souls 3. Um, Dark Souls 3, for me at least, was um, kind of a perfection of the Dark Souls formula. Um, a game that really emphasized mastery um, and really kind of refined the systems that define the Dark Souls series into something that was... Um, Complete without being as frustrating as some of the earlier iterations are. Um, for all the people who hate Dark Souls 2, I think it atoned for the sins of that game. Um, I think it took all the the best parts of Dark Souls 1 and, and put some new twists on them. I thought I they did a good job of balancing a lot of the different um, types of playstyles, right? Um, infamously in Dark Souls 1, there were some builds that... Dominated others. And while there, there for sure is a meta in Dark Souls 3, I think that meta is a lot tighter than it is um, in Dark Souls 1. Um, on top of this... Right, can you clarify that term, tighter? Um, so, like, in... The, the distance between an optimal build and, like... Like, if... Okay. Like, like, there are... There are builds that are, like, S-plus builds and builds that are, like... The difference between an S plus build and a D build is is a lot less watt. Like th there's a lot less difference in power between those than than it would have been in Dark Souls one, right? Like there are, sure. like okay, it's clear then. Um, I also think that it, it really kind of really brought together um something that I think that Dark Souls one of the, the the best innovations of Dark Souls, which is kind of this immersive multiplayer aspect, where um you know. The, uh, the the multiplayer is completely optional, but there is a benefit for, for kind of engaging with it. Um, if you when, when you burn an ember to kindle yourself, you gain health. And gaining that health lets you summon other people to help you, but it also leaves you open to invasion from other players. And I, I love that mechanic. Um, <coughs> I love playing against it. I love being the defender. I think, I think it's an awesome kind of random challenge. 
I think it's amazing. I also love playing on the other side. I love invading other people and just running up to them and screwing with them, especially with some of the items they put in the game. There is like there are things like rings that let you look like you're not like normally invaders are like tinged red or purple. Um, you can put on a ring that makes you look like a friendly ghost or like just the host. It's 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 so crazy, and they're willing to do all this crazy stuff because they like it, the game might be a little bit unbalanced, but they're willing to live with that because ultimately the game's kind of about being being kind of this out there thing that's so unique and on its own. Um, I also thought that the the legendary hardness of of Dark Souls was there, but in a very satisfying way. Um, something that's been I think been true about the the series as a whole is that um, when you die in Dark Souls, it's it's not really frustrating because you know where you screwed up. It's not it doesn't ever feels unfair. It never feels. Um, like you've been robbed of your life. It feels like you, you know what you did. You know that you, you screwed it up. Um, that combined with just kind of like the diversity of, of play style. Like I, I beat the game and it was a wonderful time. And then I went back, back in just to, to try out new builds, to, to screw around in multiplayer some more to do some, uh, random stuff. Um, the, the story in the game is, is, is this great kind of mix it, it it's shown to you and not told to you i know it's it's not for everyone because it's got kind of like it, it's very obscure and a lot of it's in item descriptions which is a little bit less tell and a little bit or a little bit less show and a little bit more tell but like the the way that things fuse together the way that things look kind of like they did in dark souls one and is that related I, it might be but i can't quite be sure and all that ties together into kind of this this sweeping narrative that's crossed these three games in a way that um is, is very satisfying for someone who's been a fan of the series. So, and um, uh, the, the, the director has said that this is going to be the last game in the series. There's still some DLC on the way, but it is, I think, an excellent way to put the series to rest. Um, I'm not sure that it'll stay that way. Um, it makes too much money, I think, for them to put it to bed. But I, I am um, I'm very satisfied with, with, with the, com the completion of Dark Souls as it is with Dark Souls 3. Fair, uh, fair enough. Uh I obviously didn't play. Uh, I obviously didn't play Dark Souls three, so I don't exactly have a ton to, uh, I guess, contribute to that. Though I did, you know, I did watch playthroughs of Dark Souls three. I was it. It is remarkable to me the the space and the culture that Dark Souls kind of occupies. I think it it is really a testament to like good game design that they were really able to kind of like thread that needle of like tough but fair. Just watching it, it it looks like it would be super easy to you just completely frustrate yourself out on on a game like that and call it and call it terrible, right? Like, oh, this game is being you know this game isn't fair. This game is uh, uh, and 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 so I I appreciate you know I think I think Dark Souls uh, uh, I think Dark Souls does uh, kind of does does the right does the right. It, it did it did it right i guess is my is my point yeah and and the thing that's exciting about it too is that it's kind of in much the same way that dota was kind of like the the grandfather of all mobas dark souls is quickly becoming the grandfather of a new genre of they're called souls like because you know nobody's got any creativity but these kind of ultra tough games that are like a little bit more methodical a little bit less action heavy um and so there's the um on the horizon, the guys who did Lords of the Fallen, which was viewed as a, is a, um, uh, what's the word I want to use? A, a, 
a good but not spectacular, a competent Souls-like. They're making a, a sci-fi um, Souls-like. So um, that's on the horizon. That's exciting. Blood, the, you know, the, From the people who made Dark Souls made Bloodborne, which is kind of like um, almost like a gothic um, Souls-like. It, it, it works a little bit differently, but... You know, the, the, it's it's kind of a burgeoning genre, and I'm, I'm excited for the different entries we'll get moving forward. But, yeah, um, moving on to the other categories, buddy. Yeah, fair enough. Buddy, do you have, do you have a category you want to you wanna swing at me? Okay, uh, I haven't thought a lot about these categories, I want you to know. I think the categories being a little bit random makes them a lot of fun, but as I was looking over my Steam library... <laughs> the, the first category that jumped out at me is like the game that made me feel the most spontaneous pathos, I guess. And, uh, and that game roundly goes to XCOM 2, which came out earlier this year and kind of, I forgot about, I, you know, and, uh, that, you know, a lot of a lot of look a lot of strategy games have come out this year, so I guess it kind of gets a little bit lost in uh, a little bit lost in the shuffle. And I don't particularly think XCOM Two was like uh, you know it was good enough. It was worth the time I put into it. I put in fifty nine hours. You know what I mean? I, I it's a buck an hour. I'm super I'm super happy. Um, I'm super happy with that. But just like the first game, this game was remarkable. In the way that it was able to get me to kind of care about procedurally generated bits, like you know, ones and zeros, right? Like there was nothing to these characters besides you know, a, like a confirming voiceover, right? And like and a specific, you know, like in a nickname, right? And they're like talent tree or whatever. But it's just like little things, right? Like you know, Cobra, right? This super badass sword guy who just like runs up at the back line and had saved you know saved my unit so many times like that I I I've never quite felt this kind of connection to a character that's like so uh like that that's like not designed right this is like a sandbox where I got really really it's like I'm playing in a sandbox and I got really really connected to like the G.I. Joe action figure I was uh, you know like I was I was playing with and it's such a unique feeling I it, the, the only other game that I, it's ever happened to me in is XCOM 1 <laughs> and um and so that's you know uh that's unique and I think that's worth that's worth uh that's like worth kind of celebrating I guess that kind of um you know, it, it, it's it's something that's come out in other places too. I get connected to my generals, for instance, or like my, uh, um, <laughs> you know, uh, when I was playing Warhammer, I had a really badass goblin. Let's get stabby, right? Um, <laughs> and I just he was he was a huge badass, and and so you know, other other games can get can get up there. They can get a little bit close, but no, I've never quite been as sold on that phenomenon as XCOM Two has been able to sell me. Yeah, no, I I definitely know what you mean. That kind of like as as you're diving in, you know, you you care <laughs> about about your you know, and you, you feel it when they get hit and they go down. Yeah. Oh man. Right. Like, oh, the, the worst is when, uh, you know, I, I've had to do the thing where like somebody nobly sacrifices themselves. This has happened to me on a couple of those like extraction missions where it's just like, oh my God, you guys, 
like brick wall isn't gonna make it out in time and brick wall is like it's okay go on without me <laughs> you know like these kind of spontaneously generated narratives uh are is something very cool and it's it's a very game ish you know you can't get that anywhere else um which is why i i appreciate and i want to highlight it when i see it kind of uh, kind of thing yeah no absolutely i, I think i think it's an excellent thing. Did you want to say anything more on, on XCOM 2 or should I jump to my pick for that category? I you go go nuts for that category. So you know you know, XCOM 2 obviously did that for me a lot as well. And and I, I want you to know by the way, I have I think I know what you're gonna go with this. I'm gonna just like silently write I'm not gonna write this down, but I'm gonna write down I wanna see if I'm right on my on my prediction for what's gonna be uh Oh uh, huh. yeah, go yeah, yeah, go nuts. I'm uh, I'm excited. Uh, <laughs> so um it didn't come out this year, so I'm just gonna give it a shout out real quick. Um, but Crusader Kings 2 did this a lot for me. Ah, fuck me. I thought it was going to be Enter the Gungeon. Oh, see, Enter the... So, uh, so Crusader Kings 2 is just getting a shout-out, right? The, what I'm actually going to award it to is um, RimWorld. So, Enter the Gungeon doesn't really do that for me because I don't really care. Like, it, it's just my character, right? Like, I, I don't project a lot onto him. And, like, roguelikes, the characters are disposable as kind of a mechanic, so okay, I really don't feel that kind of that pathos, but I am going to give it to RimWorld and RimWorld is, um, I, I don't know if you remember, we talked about it much earlier in the year, but it's a game where it's, it's kind of like Dwarf Fortress, but, um, it's, it's, it's in space, um, or rather it is on a planet. It is supposed to be kind of like you, you've crash landed off of like a high tech civilization trying to build things up. Um, and similar, similar to what you said, like the characters you get are all randomized. You get like Steve and he's a dude and he's got like some traits with him and he can be pissy about different things or whatever. And you've got mm -hmm. Charlotte and you know, you've got like, you're kind of micromanaging these relationships between the characters as well as trying to get people to do things so that, you know, and nobody dies, you build up your, your house, but in very much the same way, every time, you know, I had to send out one of my guys to go hunting, you know, I'm worried about whether or not he's going to come back. Every time the raiders come, I need to make sure that my people are uh, protected. And I, I think at one point, like, one of my people was, was caught outside when the raiders were, were arriving. I'm just, like, sweating as I'm trying to get them to come back to base. And you don't have direct control over any of your units. That, that's kind of the way that these games work is, is you kind of tell them things that they, that you'd like them. You set up things that you like people to work on and they based on their priorities, go work on those things. Or if they're, they're like sulky enough, they'll go like sleep instead or something. Um, mm. And so it's just kind of like, a, no, you need to come back. You need to come that They're going to shoot you. And it's just, you know, that kind of tightness in your chest as, as, as you watch like a, you know, a, a set of pixels run across the screen that you've you've developed these feelings for just because it's it's you're so tightly connected to them, um, and I don't even like you know in in the same way with XCOM I don't I don't think it's necessarily tight tightly tied to how well the game is written. It's just kind of like that that closeness with 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 their actions and like like little things right like nicknames or like you know uh, achievements that they've accomplished and, and kind of like your role in the game as an overseer, right? Like in XCOM, you were the general. In RimWorld, you're kind of a um, bodyless, but you, you still feel kind of like in that overseer position. I think that leads like to like a kind of a parental almost care for your characters. You know what? Fair enough. Uh, I, I feel that. Um, I You know, I have to say, I've actually, I've been very intrigued by RimWorld. So I wonder if it's... Uh, 
I wonder if it's on sale for the Steam sale. Um, because let's take a look. Uh, yeah, so RimWorld is early access. This is what I didn't quite realize. Uh, RimWorld is early access. So um, I, uh, you know, what's funny about RimWorld actually is that there's a there's another game that I played that that. Do you remember when I was talking about and playing Banished a lot? All right, folks, we're back after a little bit of technical difficulties. Um, buddy, you were talking about Banished. Okay, so uh, when I was in the, uh, so I was in like the midst of my like Banished phase, um, where I was playing a lot of Banished because I really, you know, I, I really like that game. Uh, it's it's not a 2016 game, obviously, but. Uh, you know, it's definitely worth it. I, I was looking up similar games, and I came across RimWorld, and I was like, oh, this looks neat. I never really got into Dwarf Fortress, right? But, like, maybe this is a kind of a version of Dwarf Fortress that I could get into kind of thing. But I remember saying, like, eh, you know, it's in early access. When they actually release it, you know, I'll, 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 come, I'll come back to it uh, kind of thing. And, uh, and, yeah. I mean, I also think... Um, you know, I also think that RimWorld is, uh, uh, it, you know, it, it's a, it's a, it's a good looking game. And I think these kinds of roguelikes, it is easy to get kind of lost in and attached. This has happened to me in FTL more than anything else, where like I get attached to my crew and I really feel it when my crew f dies. Um, and so, uh, I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's something, it's something that's on my mind. It, I, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm with it. I'm in there. Uh, I hope that, uh, yeah, you know, I hope that one day I get to enjoy, I get to enjoy rim worlds with the rest of, with the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess it's time for me to swing a category to you. So my category is going to be, um, best world building and i'm going to give that to overwatch um jeez that's rough best world building all right yeah um so overwatch comes out this year and along with all the other wonderful things about it it has put together this really comprehensive or comprehensive maybe the wrong world this really colorful world with this really cool history that that everybody wants more of and it keeps giving us a little taste of that whether it's with the animated shorts or with the comics or with kind of even voice lines in the game and um something that that i think is kind of like impressive about it is you get a real feeling for who these characters are and, and how they act and what they do just kind of how they interact with each other on on the battlefield um as weird as that sounds and 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 these little touches that, that they that they give to everyone right like roadhog and uh and Junkrat are kind of um, crazy anarchists from Australia who are fighting back against, like, um, in, you know, uh, what they view as kind of like a, a stealing of their land um, in uh, by by a foreign force, which, which is it's very goofy on the surface. But right? you've got like two, you've got a crazy dude and a big creepy dude. Um, but if you when you think about it, and you go into it, it's like this 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 omnicrisis kind of like. Um, fuels everything that that happens in this world, and and you can see how like it, it's got some parallels to the real world. It's got um a, a deep kind of richness to it into itself that that really pulls it all together, and I think it makes the game um a lot richer for it. And you know, am I thinking about 
you know, the fact that we're launching the satellite to reconvene Overwatch every time we play Gibraltar. No, but it does keep me hooked into the world and keeps me paying attention even when I'm not playing the game. And I think that's the kind of secret to longevity for a lot of these games is things that keep you coming back. Sometimes that's content updates and that's also awesome, but sometimes it's just lore building and world building and things that you want to be a part of. Um, and understand what's what's going on in the world where, you know, even, even people who don't necessarily play the game at all can get involved in, in understanding this this rich narrative. Um, and I, I think that's awesome. I also think it opens up a lot of opportunities for things like story-based content in the game that you can do as, you know, these, these fun modes don't just have to be um, these silly one-offs. They can be story-based things. You could tack on a whole single-player campaign as... DLC if you wanted to do this game and be super welcome and I think that's ultimately what's going to keep Overwatch um, in the hearts and minds of people um, long down the road in addition to the competitive aspect of course but I think the single like I think by having this rich world and having a rich multiplayer competitive you get a, this huge audience that's going to make tons tons of money for Blizzard as if it already hasn't but you know I, I think it, I think it's going to stay alive for a long time Jeez, this one's really hard. I kind of have two answers. Okay. So I might go double. I might double down. That's fine. Uh, this is our award show. We can un- do what we want. If this is our award show, I could do what I want. Anyway. Um, okay. So my first answer to this, which is, this is kind of an indelicate answer, right? This isn't quite like best world building, but just like, it, 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 this is world building via like blunt force trauma and the game i'm referring to is tyranny right uh i haven't finished tyranny we started playing tyranny a couple of weeks ago and i kind of got just swept up in some other stuff so i never got back to it i guess um but the world building in tyranny that that first opening conquest stuff uh was just so good at rooting like for the purposes of in an rpg right nailing down your character as a part of this explicit world i think tyranny really deserves a ton of credit right um you 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 spend a lot you spend a lot of time getting to know your character and getting in the head of your character and in the psyche of your character before you even you know, like load up the before like the, the the game actually starts. Um, unfortunately, I also think that that happens. Uh, you know, like that also kind of comes about in in the midst of the game as well. But it doesn't feel very efficient to me, which is why I'm very hesitant to call it like best world building. There's a lot of world building in there, or a lot of like stuff that's like okay, I get it, right? Like the yes, the Scarlet Chorus are you know chaosy bloodthirsty savages right and uh oh shit i'm gonna forget their name uh the uh what's the name of the the legion it's like the the iron something i almost said that i almost said like the pure legion but i know that's obviously pathfinder um which sucks because i sided with them like in fucking everything (laughs) um you know, and there are these kind of, right, like, super brutal, uh, mild, you know, like, mildly racist, uh, 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 kind of, like, hardcore authoritarians, right? Um, and so I don't think, like, this isn't world building that's done delicately. It's done through just 
hours and hours of die you know like extra dialogue that comes from these characters right um and everything like that and uh, and kind of where like the world around you uh doesn't necessarily feel like it it, it you you get a good lay of the land but like the specifics of how that gel together aren't necessarily revealed in a super great order um but just like the the that those conquests right in the beginning to me are like a masterpiece um and and deserve a shout out of their own the best worldly that i feel like i've gone through this year uh has actually been incredibly recently it's been with deus ex mankind divided um it, deus ex is a game that suffered because it came out right on top of world of warcraft legion so it immediately you know like any kind of like immediate necessity that was like i should play this game right freaking now was uh, was kind of lost by rolling back into azeroth and and fucking up uh uh and fucking up the legion um but i finally gotten back to day six mankind divided and i've put in i've actually put in a ton of hours over the past like three days so it's right on the top of my mind but they do so many little things um that are really noteworthy i think um things like you know just like and and it sounds obvious and this is going to sound kind of obvious and rote but like it really works where it's like okay when you're entering the train station there's the there's the way for naturals and the way for augs right and the naturals way it's like these old photos of like segregate segregation where you see like the whites only water fountain that's all nice and clean and then like the coloreds water fountain that's like super gross and grody right like and and that stuff is at first i thought it was going to be the same kind of like indelicate hit you over the head with it but then as you actually get into the mechanics of the story and it's day six right so you're in this kind of like film noir uh the conspiracy plot uh or whatever but they do a such a fantastic job of contextualizing why you're here and what the people like why are you fighting the people you're fighting right why are you moving through this area um for do you think like is it smart just for not not just from like a you know uh there, there's a lot of this in kind of like a human revolution where it's like ah it's just mercenaries i'll just kill them all they're douchebags anyway kind of thing um but they've really got out of their way to to first characterize the different enemies that you're going to be fighting right um, and secondly, kind of empathize with them where it's like, well, do you want to sneak up on this, you know, police officer? And he's talking about it. He's just like, ah, you know, I'm just, you know, I don't really hate Augs, but I definitely understand why people are afraid of them. And it's my job as a police officer in order to give them that security. So insofar as that, you know, as that, that, that is my purpose I am going to have to fulfill that. And it's like, yeah, well, okay, he's being a part of this oppressive, you know, racist-ish, whether or not Augs are a race, uh, regime, right? But also, he's not a bad guy. And little stuff like that, the little stuff like that has really sucked me in um, and kind of vacuumed me into uh, the, uh, uh, vacuumed me into into the game. And so I, wa I, wanna, I wanna give that one, I wanna give that bad boy to Mankind Divided. Yeah, no, it's it's funny you mentioned that because um, it's it's again it's not from this year, but um, uh, Witcher three also had some moments like that and it, that uh kind of really built up the world. In particular, I just wanted to to shout out to um, there's a Baron very early in the game 
who um uh he he's like he's very worried about his wife and child um and then you find out that he beat her but like he the, the game does a good job of like making you know he like you know portraying him as both like a monster and and, and a sympathetic character right like he's not you know he's a bad guy but he's also not like inhuman right he's not he's not like a cartoon villain he's he's someone who wants to make amends and realizes that he's done wrong and i i think those types of interactions those types of shades of gray really help to build out these worlds in in, in really interesting ways and i think that that kind of stuff is, is is good for games as a whole and i think that that's um i think that that's awesome uh you know more of that yeah i i 100 think uh that this kind of stuff um is good for is just good for games as uh, is good for games as a whole, and it's something that I think we uh, we have been seeing progressively more of. So I'm 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 with it. I'm with it. I'm down. I'm down to clown. Uh, good job, Day Six. Good job, Overwatch. <laughs> um, well, I believe it's it's your turn for a category. Uh, okay. Uh, another category that this category is a little mean. Ooh. So I apologize for being a little bit mean. Um, <laughs> um, uh, this category is uh, the game that I played this year that was kind that was like the game that lost me the most. Right, I I booted it up. It was really promising, and I just kind of fell out of it. And it's made me think a lot. And this is why I want to I want to mention it. It's made me think a lot about like optimal game design, right? And and what what this game could have done better to kind of grip me and hold my attention. Um, and uh, and I want to give this award to uh, uh, this kind of like gradual the 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 derpy for gradual disappointment <laughs> goes to Stellaris. Oof. Um, I played a lot of Solaris right when it came out, and I was actually really on board right when it came out because, first of all, Paradox has banked a lot of goodwill with me. Right there, you are. There is no way that you're going to get me to load up, uh, uh, to load up Stellaris, or sorry, to load up a Paradox game without me looking at that favorably, right? Europa Universalis is the best strategy game I've ever played in my life. It is, you know, like this is, um. This is uh, this is a studio that does it right, I think. And so when Stellaris came out, I was actually I was really hyped for it, and it was a game that really rewarded that hype. Maybe in the first twenty hours of play, right? The systems were were a lot of were, were very cool. It made some uh, really neat kind of uh, choices, right? The way that the card based uh, technology what what worked for it. Um, the way that, you know, you were able to upgrade and work with your own, you know, designing your own ships that use that use different components in their own power and all that, that kind of stuff. And in those first 20 minutes when I'm first discovering these systems and I'm feeling them out and I'm finding uh, kind of what makes them tick, I'm, I'm really on board with Stellaris. Where Stellaris lost me is in, is in the way that a lot of these kinds of mechanics played out, right? Like, I appreciated the novelty and I thought that it was very cool when, uh, you know, like when I was working with the, the card system at first, but very quickly, it also kind of devolved into being frustrating because I felt like I was burning tons of time 
months in this case, you know, plugging research into cards that were just worthless, right? Um, or the or you know the I I found myself having to like rapidly f switch my priorities because all of a sudden, right? Um, you know, I got a I got a card that changed the way that I was or you know like orienting my empire and in some ways i think in theory that's a good thing right like yeah i think rng belongs in strategy games because you know making making kind of commanders like players who are commanders respond to things on the fly is is an important part of what makes a good strategy game right like what makes a fulfilling strategy game when you get hit out of left field by some curveball and you have to and you have to respond to it um but I think that Stellaris, even if some of these choices were really, like, gripping and interesting and complex at first, the more I dug into them, the more I didn't like them, right? The different ship, right, like, the different the uh, uh, ship types, because of how the ships, the ship-to-ship -ship combat works and the ships are constructed in general, I think I just wasted so much time making my own ships and trying to create my own ships when really I would have just been better off auto auto completing uh, these ships and going with generalist designs in most uh, in most cases right um, because right you know like if I have if, if I'm going to, if I'm at war with someone and I know that all of their and I know that all of their ships don't have strong shields because of whatever espionage I, I guess I've kind of done or whatever whatever intel I have. It's too it's not cost effective for me to sit down and retrofit my ships so as to exploit that weakness, right? And that war isn't going to last long enough because these wars are kind of punchy. Uh, th that war isn't going to last long enough to to keep me invested. So this whole system feels like a giant waste of time. Um, and there's a lot of decisions in Solaris that are built on that kind of thing. And I'm sorry, Paradox. Uh, I don't think it's a bad game by any measure, but it is a game. Uh, it is a game that lost me, and that I feel like I'm gonna have to come back to once some significant patching has gone into it, uh, so that I can feel in in better control of uh, of the final product of my you know my empire and my decision making. Yeah, I feel like this is a, this is kind of like a, a problem in general with these like possible forex type real time games. Is that combat kind of comes down to like, do I have bigger numbers than them? Um, and I, I think that's just kind of a, a, a consequence of uh, of of you know, like Total War gets around this by having the battles play out like in micro, um, like you you essentially have a StarCraft battle on the world map. Um, and, yeah. and like game like Civ gets around it by having this very like RPS type system and having the, the limited one unit stacks. I think that you kind of lost a lot of that back in four where you had like doom stacks. Um, and I, I think, I think that that's this is just kind of like a, a, a problem with the grander strategy games is, is, is getting that kind of detail in there um, when you don't have the power to micro. Um, I think yeah, micro is a lot of what makes unit diversity valuable. And I definitely think, uh, you know, like, I think Total War is a good example of this because Total War with the, because you play these battles out in micro and you can choose to play really any battle out in micro, you can do that thing in Total War where you kind of like heroically defend. And, I, and I've done this before and it feels so good, right? Like where you get attacked out of the blue, right? And you know, you're going to lose if you auto resolve, 
but maybe you can just inflict enough casualties that by the time you march your stacks back, right, it'll make the kind of difference. And you and so you fight this garrison defense, and just kind of by some magic victory, you know, you or sorry, but just kind of like this magic of how the the battle plays out, you win, right? Like Total War having that space feels good, right? Yeah, and, um, and I think it's one of the and it's one of the biggest selling points to the kind of strategy game that goes into Total War. Actually, um, on the contrary, I don't think you can really pull that kind of thing off in Stellaris. I mean, maybe I don't know. Maybe I, you I don't, can. I you don't can, think you can because because the, there's no micro to it, and there's no kind of like you don't feel like a general commanding the troops. You kind of feel like a head of state telling people to go attack. It doesn't feel. Good. It just kind of feels arbitrary, right? It feels like, yeah. because it's ultimately down to some dice rolls. It feels like it's down to some dice rolls. Um, and it's funny too because I actually I think EU four does this pretty well, all told, because it is very it, like it's super super macro, but because of how like you know this is technical because of how the morale system works, you can beat a you know if if a big stack comes in and starts fighting you right. Uh, and starts fighting your little stack, you can actually beat it back by doing small, by doing like small things, right? Like, like having small units reinforce a losing battle, you can actually turn the tide because the morale bump of getting a, like, the morale bump of getting reinforcements into a battle that's ongoing, even if it's not enough reinforcements to turn the tide numerically, you can still kind of like, pop it back into your favor if that makes sense um and that like that kind of thing is gratifying right like maneuvering so that you're chasing down uh you know you're chasing down an enemy stack or like you trick them into into making movement because of how movement locks after a certain amount of time has been all that kind of stuff i think from a macro perspective is very gratifying um but I don't know. I yeah. I I one hundred percent agree that the the lack of micro that goes into it, even though and it feels like it should be microable in Stellaris too, because like you know you're seeing the actual battle play out. I don't really. Know. I I don't know. It it is a it is a weird it is a weird tough thing to get around. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Now, um. I, I actually I have a selection for this category. Um. It's. I ended. I finished the game because it's a very short game, but I am going to award this to Abzu. Um, Abzu, if you are unfamiliar, is a underwater kind of exploration game in the same kind of vein as Journey. Um, and I say that in particular because this game, although it attempted to do the same thing as Journey, did not do the same thing as Journey to me. It, I left it, went away from it, and was like, well, that was neat, I guess. I didn't have this, like, when I played Journey for the first time, I had this kind of very deep like emotional connection to the game um it felt like a it felt like a journey it felt like a um i felt attached to my character i kind of felt attached to the way that the the story played out i thought that it was really masterfully done and and you know shout outs to that game and i could tell that abzu had some of the same people from them and i could tell that they were trying to do something similar but it just didn't grab me and like uh, it made me sit like you said you know, makes you sit down and think about exactly why that is. Um, and I think where Abzu failed really is that, um, while it's beautiful and while some of the things that it had up on journey were, um, you know, the, 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 the flora and fauna were beautiful. It was, it was a 
great game to sit and watch. It's just kind of like an aquarium mode where you can sit and just watch fish swim around. You can, um, uh, you know, grab on and swim with the fishes, and that that's all very fine and relaxing. But it lacks the kind of emotional punch because you lack the kind of connection to the world around you because they're like the, in journey where it would be like other other players in the form of uh, these 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 other characters that are like you walking around that you can tell have some amount of uh, like the, you can tell if there's people behind them right or, or at least they're they're good facts like they, they seem like other characters they're fish in Abzu and no matter how much they kind of try to make one of the fish in particular be like tragic it, it it's still at the end of the day was just kind of like a shark um and the wildlife looked majestic but it never felt like it it never really felt like it grew into the characters right um and they also feel like that their overarching story which kind of takes a left turn about halfway in and there's like this weird kind of like aztec mythology that goes on along with it and then it makes a right turn into like industrialism and I, I just don't think it it pulled together in the right way that it needed to in order to make the the game really super compelling in the way that that journey ultimately is. Um, I also feel that like, and in, in in some ways it's there, there's also kind of like only so much space for a person to enjoy any one of those games before you start being like oh, I've seen this before. Um, right. But I do think that even with that considered, that Abzu just doesn't have the kind of staying power to to really pull out um, pull pull out the kind of reaction that that you'd get out of that I think it wants to get out of you. Um, but it's very pretty and very relaxing. If I ever want to go swim around in an aquarium, that's that's a game that for that. But. Um, that's so absolutely. fair enough it tried sure. but uh it tried <laughs> gave it its best shot yeah, sa- same thing with the stars right it tried <laughs> yeah <laughs> the it tried derpy i'm a big fan of that one all right that was my category so what's uh hit me up hit okay me up. so this category is going to be a little cheeky um uh, the category is going to be best use of guns and i'm going to give it to enter the gungeon um, Enter the Gun. Okay. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> this is like the ultimate participation award, right? Like, no. it's like, oh, the best player that hit the ball in T-ball. It's like, Jesus Christ. No, no, Come on. I mean, so I, there are plenty of games this year that used guns, many of which got critical acclaim. But I think Enter the Gungeon used guns the best. And okay, I, fair enough. Um, you know, Call of Duty used guns really well. Titanfall used guns really well. But I think Enter the Gungeon had the best guns. Uh, the guns were huge. Um, but uh, the the this kind of goes back into like um, a little bit of theming as well, right? Like again, this, this category is, is cheeky. Um, the the aesthetic of Enter the Gungeon is everything is guns. The enemies are bullets, and they fire small guns at you, and all of the guns are ludicrous and funny and friendly. There is um, just just the, the variety from, like, you've got your standard, like, pistols and submachine guns and assault rifles. And then you've got, like, your wackier fare. You've got, like, 
um, a bow and arrow. You've got like a t-shirt cannon. You've got a barrel that shoots fish because the dun the the the, the magical forces that like animates this gun magic into existence doesn't quite understand what metaphors are. Um, <laughs> and and <coughs> um, you've got a bunch of cultural reference. You've got like a a gun that like shoots bricks and then the last one it shoots is a shell in a, in a clear reference to super mario brothers and this all just kind of comes together to like um and it's really supported by excellent gunplay as well um it's got um uh it, you know it, it's not like a first person shooter so it, it's it's not the same mechanics as that but it's it's, it's one of the tightest roguelites i've ever played um it's got excellent dodging mechanics um it's it's another game that's just full mastery right like when you get hit it's because you screwed up and you didn't dodge at the right time or it's because you didn't plan out what you needed to do well enough um and while it does suffer from some of the 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 same type of roguelike challenges that that um all roguelikes um suffer from which is namely um the kind of roles and what equipment you get can kind of make your break your run um it still is it's got enough in there to mitigate that right in, in, in the classic in like classic roguelike like net hack if you don't find um some equipment by the time you get down enough levels you just numerically won't be able to beat the enemies um but in enter the gungeon because there's so much of that that's on your skill and your ability to roll you can still make it fairly deep with just your standard gun it's hard and you know, you'll have a much easier time, obviously, if you find a a better gun. But um, the ability to to master that game is still always there, um, and I really think that it it did a lot for kind of um, marrying like uh, the action genre with the um, with the roguelike genre, and, and uh, in much the way that Binding of Isaac did before it. Um, and I think that. It deserves accolades for that, as well as with its goofy theming and wonderful kind of culture around it. It's it's funny, it's fun, it has lots of guns. Best use of guns, enter the gungeon. Uh, you know, I don't need to spend too much time on this one because it's pretty straightforward. Uh, I think Overwatch gets this pretty clearly from my retinue. Just because, just from the perspective of, um, I think, uh, I think this has been happening for a long time. I guess, uh, let me preface that where, uh, you know, the differences between different guns is being, is be, is becoming more and more pronounced, right? It used to be small things in like call of duty, modern. Well, I don't know call of duty well enough to kind of make the, these kinds of calls, but like, you know, the, there's a lot of guns in these games, but really at the end of the day, right? Like there is just kind of a, like a best in, in class assault rifle or shotgun, uh, or whatever. And even though they have different firing patterns or you might kind of march prefer one or the other um they 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 all work in in practically the same way and it's all kind of just like on the margins um overwatch as a game it it, it emblemized like the the rpgization of games overwatch gets to the like the point where like that is trickling into first-person shooters and one of the most interesting ways that i think that they that that's happened is by swap switching up how guns work uh for you know a competitive multiplayer fps right um you know your loadout is your character and your guns are tied to 
the the character you play and the, and the variety of them is is pretty significant, right? You know, Roadhog's gun has different fall off than tracers in the and the different firing modes, uh, and you know the the difference between a McCree um, and a Soldier seventy six is made almost entirely uh, by by his gun and how and how he fires it kind of thing. Um, and so I think I think Overwatch thinking outside the box, I think expanding kind of what is a a viable gun is a pretty straightforward uh, uh, is a pretty straightforward solid answer. To this kind of, uh, excuse me, uh, to this kind of answer to, you know, like how, how do, how, how where do, where do, uh, modern FPSs go from this? Yeah, that's actually, that's an excellent answer, um, to, to my, to my stupid category. I, I think you're absolutely <laughs> right. Um, that, like, that, that, um, Overwatch has really kind of put forth a new standard for balancing around, like, radically different weapon types. You know, you even got one gun that's a hammer. It's 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 uh, like Enter the yeah, Gungeon yeah. has a wide variety of guns. Um, but yeah, excellent answer, excellent answer. Um, my next uh, part of me wants to fish for compliments with this one, but I'm just gonna let it go uh, because whatever. Um, my next derpy is for favorite session of D and D that we've played this year. Ooh. And uh, because, you know, I, you know, we play we play all games. I think my answer has to go to the session where it's funny because one of the frustrating things about being a GM is you lose the uh, like you get hit by that kind of like adage of like no battle plan survives first contact with the enemy all the time. Right. Things are always kind of perfect in your head, but then you you say it wrong and the players don't understand right or they say something that like undercuts the mo you know like all these different things right you know like they don't quite pick up this encounter is harder than you intended it's easier than you intended all of these other kinds of things right where like in your head it's perfect but then when you actually get it down on paper it sucks uh, and that and that's a frustrating thing. And I think my whole life as a you know like my 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 whole career as as a as a D and D uh, GM has been about minimizing that feeling as much as possible. Um, but the session that resonated the most with me, like the session is the session that I think, uh, which was like the perf like the best I've ever executed on that principle was the session where you guys got back from fighting with the beastmen right and we set up kind of the priority structure of here are three big problems that are coming up and you ha you you have to choose how you're going to handle them and that means you're going to be leaving yourself out to dry when it comes to one or the other uh i think the reaction from the players was perfect the kind of like you know, the kind of thing where I was explaining kind of what was at stake and it was just kind of progressively more like, oh, like, come, come on, right? Like, that frustration is exactly the kind of emotion that was supposed to come out of that, right? Like, th it's a hard decision to be making, right? Um, but I think you guys did buckle down and and kind of get through it. And uh, and so that that specific session where we were setting that up I think was the best session, uh, the best session of D and D that I played all year. Well, yeah, no, that was definitely, definitely a, a fun one to live through. Um, it was stressful, but it was it really it really tugged at some heartstrings, uh, as it were. Um, I'm gonna give it to um, our very special episode for Twitch. Um, 
the uh, the Kexty Dalandala episode, um, which I really enjoyed just because it was kind of like I think I think in, in a lot of ways it was kind of the the perfect distillation of or not maybe not distillation but the the, the culmination of all of the work that you put into that diplomacy system and everything kind of built together well and everybody really participated and everybody got really into it. Um, and we had had enough experience with that system that we re- that everybody really understood what needed to be done and how to do it. Um, and it felt like it flowed naturally. It felt like, I, I think it felt like it did exactly what you wanted it to do. And I think that was in, I think you aimed for the right things, you know, um, the, the players that are you know, the, the, like, you know, obviously the, the more diplomatic players, um, took front and center, Beauregard and Alaric. Um, but there were still, like, good jumping points for all of the other characters, and everybody really got into it, and I think that that really solidified a lot of things, along with, along with like, these kind of other little tidbits that you throw, you know, like, oh, Kexty really likes it when you, like, bring him, like, you know, you know like, Kexty really likes food, so, you know, oh, we should we should bring some bread to, to, to share with, you know, like, like that, that kind of thing. Yeah, all, yeah, all those I little that, yeah. All those little pieces, I think, really came together to um uh re- really came together to, to make it a really memorable session um hmm. a really fun session uh cool i'm glad what's your uh hit me with your category okay this one is 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 relatively simple um it's going to be best opening and i'm going to give it to final fantasy 15 um now um, I haven't played a ton of it, so I really couldn't give you anything else about it. But the first scene of this game is so gratifying and so it feels so great. Um, it opens with the Prince Noctis talking to his dad about um, leaving. Um, there's a little bit of tension because the prince kind of like flouts um, uh, decorum a little bit, whereas his friends. He it's, it's Noctis and his three friends, and his three friends are like, "Oh, it's the king. We we better act appropriately." And the prince Noctis is it, not so much, but a little bit like, "Dad, I, it's time for me to go." Um, and you know, at the right before they leave, they kind of like you know lock arms, and, and outside of the 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 decorum of the throne room, the father says to him, "You know, uh, the you know, your go well, my son. The the line the your lineage goes with you." Um, and they trade a couple parting things. You get this really good father-son connection. Um, and then I think the even better part is that they all, they all drive away. And then as they're driving down the road, you, you come in on them and their car has broken down. And, um, this is where you first really start to get the first taste of these characters. You've got the, essentially the, the main character, the smart guy, the muscle, and kind of like the 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 whiny little the the the, the kind of goofball character and the goofball character is laying on the ground whining about how you know he can't he can't go on he he simply can't push walk another step whereas the muscle just kind of like get up and push the car you idiot and <laughs> and you know there's this 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 great cross banter and um and I thought it was going to be stupid but they have you like they have you actually push the car. You you push a button, you push it, and that kind of like I think actually draws you into it a little bit. And as you push it, they continue to banter, and then um, this really nice um, uh, cover of "Stand by Me" starts playing, 
and you really kind of get the sense of what this game is going to be. It's going to be like a coming of age story, right? It's it's um kind of like Stand by Me, the the, the classic movie. Um, it's you know about four guys going and and growing together. Um, in this in this what ultimately becomes a time of need for the kingdom, but it just sets the stage so perfectly for um, what's an exciting and memorable game. Um, uh, again, I'm not super deep into it, so I can't tell you if, if that it delivers on that promise. But the promise, but the uh, the setup is impeccable, um, and I and I think it deserves accolades for that. Man, I have a couple of different answers to this, but I think I'm gonna go with my, uh, in a weird way, my gut reaction, and it was a little outside the box. Um, the best opening. Uh, for me, the derpy for best opening goes to uh, Stranger Things, actually, because I think that so that D and D game with those kids, it did a lot of work, and I didn't quite appreciate this at the time. But thinking back on it, it is so good. I mean, they basically outline for you the course of the show uh, in just a, in like a ten minute thing. With, you know, these kids in their D&D session, right? And and it does all these little things that just, like, really set up the, uh, that just, like, really set up the story super well. Uh, like, I don't know, I don't quite know that it would hit as hard or it would work as well that this kid Will gets, you know, kidnapped, lost, whatever, um... If I didn't have this just little moment of kind of like pathos with him in the beginning where I could understand it, I could see how he's kind of like crafty, right? Like, I think it's actually an important thing um, that he's able to survive in the upside down for so long. Uh, spoilers, I shit. Spoilers for. Uh, uh, Stranger Sorry, things. spoilers for Stranger Things, and, and and that really and that really works for me, right? Like the de- setting up the Demogorgon, right? Setting up the, these kids' mindset for how like everything is a challenge. There's no such thing as like a like a, you know, nobody gives up, right? In, in the face of ultimate danger and ultimate odds, none of them give up, and they're and even as kids, they're not gonna let their kind of like fear overcome them. Um, and in a weird way, that's kind of what – that's kind of like the whole uh, – that's kind of like the ethos, the ethos for the whole game – or sorry, the whole show in in total, right? You know, Winona Ryder doesn't give up. The sheriff doesn't give up. Um, the the two – the teenage Jonathan and uh, whatever the – her other – you know, they don't give up. And everyone's kind of making plans to try and, like, overcome this challenge that, like, it does feel really unthinkable. And I think setting all of that up in that opening was just really, really, really well done. And I really want to – I want to highlight those bad boys uh, for, for getting it – for getting it right. <laughs> for getting it really yeah, right. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think this might be our first – cross media or you know cross cross media derpy but uh i approve i approve 100 percent. excellent uh we are coming a little bit short on time so i'm gonna keep this short but my next category is my favorite movie of the year it's batman vs superman you guys all knew <laughs> oh, that god Ma- mango what's yours <laughs> um my, my this is i'm actually more i'm like you know i really am this is almost me just asking the question i'm actually really interested to see what your favorite movie of the year was oh man this is this is tough because uh 
Huh. It's, uh... I saw, I saw a fair number of movies this year. Um... But the one that really, uh... Pops into my head, and I, my kind of gut reaction is probably going to be um, Magnificent Seven, I think. Oh, shit. I, th- I was betting on Rogue One. See, I liked I liked Rogue One a lot. I did. Um, and that that's definitely, that, that was definitely up, you know, tossing around in there. Um, and I think, you know, as you like, as you like to, to separate them, I, I do think Rogue One's probably the better movie. But something about the characters in Magnificent Seven just really spoke to me. Um, with, uh, I, f- I forget what the mountain man's name was. Um, obviously, this, I'm doing myself a great service, but like the um, Vincent, Vincent, <laughs> Vincent D'Onofrio's character just kind of like gripped me. Goodnight Robichaux in particular really gripped me as kind of like a, a very human character. Um, just the, the whole movie, like the, the whole movie kind of really um pulled pulled itself together in a way that I think um while not you know well well not uh spectacular anyway re- really felt nice to me so I'm gonna give it a magnificent seven fair uh fair enough you know it's funny actually make you know I, I've been so I've been thinking about this uh since we talked about it on the rogue one cast actually where um I guess part of my critical compass is attuned to how I think about a movie afterwards, right? Like it, it to me, uh, like the like the defining characteristic about a lot of these movies, right, isn't kind of the instant like pang impression I get walking out of the theater, but about the delta of how that impression should to be like mathematically nerdy about this about how that impression changes of how i of how i think about it on a repeat viewing um or or just kind of like musing on it right um and you know like because there are a lot of these movies that like hit me with like a, a powerful pang but then the delta is all negative and so i end up with a sour taste like this is kind of the force awakens uh, civil war lives in, in this territory a little bit um and then there are some of these movies that kind of um there's some of these movies that are the opposite, right? Where I see it the first time and I get this, you know, and I get this reaction and then I go back and I watch it again. And it's like, oh, that was actually way like, like it, it, it's, it happens in a couple of different ways. Like sometimes it's noticing things you didn't notice, right? Uh, sometimes it's the opposite. This is something that happened with me with, uh, uh, with Batman versus Superman, where the problems in the movie that were very obvious on my first watch kind of faded into the background a little bit on my second watch. And I could just kind of appreciate what, and I mean, at this point I've seen it like a million times, but I could, I could just appreciate um, the stuff I liked about it without being bothered by the stuff that bothered me, uh, which is the opposite experience. A lot of, you know, sometimes, you know, the stuff that bothers me just still fucking bothers me and I can't, I can't get over it, right? Suicide Squad, right, is, is this, right? The more I thought, Suicide Squad is definitively like a bad movie that I just kind of didn't like at this point. Um, because just the more I thought about it and the more, and like all of these things just like they, they, they graded on me. Magnificent Seven is a movie that it, it had a delta of zero, right? Like I saw it, I immediately had an impression, I thought about it pretty rigorously for like two weeks and I just kind of came out in the same place. 
I just that I like that movie a lot. It does, you know. I would have changed some stuff, but nothing. There were no game. There were no deal breakers. There were no game changers. I would watch this again in a heartbeat. Uh, you like when it comes to Netflix or whatever, and I think it, and I think I would have a great time. Uh, uh, and I think it, it earns its spot in its in the kind of pantheon of some of these, uh, you know, Seven Samurai esque movies. And that in and of itself is really kind of interesting because uh, it's like one of the only movies I think I can actually say that like I had a reaction like that to. Almost all, almost every, every all of these other movies change a lot um, as I think about them more and more. Yeah, so so uh, the only other movie that kind of feels like that to me, and I think it's it's a little it, well, it is a little too old to be eligible for a derpy at this point, but would be like John Wick as another movie that I can just mm. kind of like sit down. You know, it's it's it's, it's I I, like, I really like that movie, um, and I'm hyped for the second one coming out. So you know, but but like in the, in the same kind of vein of like you know, I sat down and watched that movie. It was glorious gun fu. Two weeks later, it was still glorious gun fu, um, and you know, I, the 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 kind of like narrative shortcomings kind of melt away just because it's like it's 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 not a movie that's trying to tell a super deep story and i, I think that's actually one of the strengths of magnificent seven is it does tell a story that's slightly deeper than that and, and still keeps that kind of that, that that standard yeah i mean john i you know i really do love john wick and i'm excited for uh uh I'm excited for the next one as well. I'm actually kind of weirdly apprehensive about the next one because I kind of feel like the formula that made the first John Wick work won't work in a sequel. Yeah, like, I, I see what you're I saying. I don't think you can do the, like, I'm really afraid that they're going to do that kind of, like, like bigger, better, action or right, like, version of John Wick 2. Um, but I, because th I think the thing about John Wick 2 is that, like, yeah, the action was really solid, like really solid, and it was really good. And honestly, like Keanu Reeves, you know, like people, Keanu Reeves like basically deserves an Oscar, I think, for you know he doing all of his own stunts and all of like the training that he put into it and how well he, you know, it's not a deep character, it's not a, you know, he's not like a great actor or anything like that. But like, uh, if Leonardo DiCaprio gets one for eating a raw bison liver when there's a fire 10 feet away, I finally saw The Revenant, when there's a fire 10 feet away from him, John Wick, uh, or Keanu Reeves, uh, gets, deserves to get one for, uh, you know, the way that he was able to, to do all of that action in John Wick. But I actually don't think it would have been as good if it wasn't so earnest and straightforward with its ability to kind of just kind of like wear itself on its sleeve and say hey listen right this is a crime movie here's our criminal under you know here's our criminal underworld world building it's interesting and unique and that makes and that's a compelling aspect of this right and all of these characters are really arch and they're really broad and they bring you know just Willem Dafoe as this as this kind of like sniper friend of John Wick. He just, like, brings his uh, his backstory by being Willem Dafoe. And that's everybody <laughs> in the movie, right? Like, like Ian McShane walks into that movie and you're just kind of like, oh, I get who this character is because he's played by Ian McShane, <laughs> right? Uh, um, and uh, and I think that it's that little stuff, right, that, that really propels uh, John Wick into the, uh, into the kind of stratosphere of... Uh, uh, you know, like, 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 good, good, good movies. Just, you know, like, you don't see him. Like, you see the, you see the dog die, but then you smash cut immediately to him having finished burying it, and then 
the the thing that we dwell on is him unearthing that big box with all of the gold coins and his guns and shit, right? In this the, they they did that intercutting thing, and I think a lesser, you know, I think like a worse movie would have intercut him burying the dog but the important moment isn't him burying the dog the important moment is him using that as the impetus for sledgehammering the ground and pulling and uh, and pulling back out the john wick the evil john wick life right that it's that stuff that i think really makes john wick uh, man i love that movie i think that movie is fucking great uh, so do we want do we want to give John Wick a derpy? Uh, yeah, yeah, I want to give John Wick. John Wick, you get the derpy for the derpy that we didn't give to it that it totally deserved last year. Yeah, ex- congratulations, <laughs> John, John Wick. You now have derpies. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, well, I was, I was trying to vamp to fill time because I'm pretty sure we're at the end of uh, yeah, we're, we're just uh, about the there. No, yeah. but it was it was uh, did, you know I don't, we never got a chance to talk about John Wick. I'm sure this means that John Wick Two is now going to be on the docket for. Uh, oh, John Wick Two is yeah, it was 100 on the docket. What is some other stuff? That, what is some other stuff that's on the docket? There's going to be a Mass Effect episode. Oh, I'm yeah. going to force you to play that game I need on release to, uh, just so we can what, talk When does about it come it. out? Uh, somewhere in like February. They pushed February? it February. Jesus, I thought I had more time. I need. Wait, hold on one second. Mass Effect Andromeda. Let's check. I, I'm sure For Honor is going to be on the docket somewhere. Um, just cause I think there's enough of us that are going to play it. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's true. That's true. Um, God, why can't I get a fucking release date? March 21st, actually. Oh, so man. there's uh there's, you know, there's a good amount of time. All right. Um, time to play through all the mass effects. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did that, I guess, actually, thinking about it this year. I played Mass Effect 1 and 2 oh. uh, again. I kind of forgot about it. Oh. Well, um, we'll see how that goes. Um, what else is uh, what else is coming out? Um, I don't even... I, I, I'm better about movies than I am about the stuff. There's a bunch of movies. I'm sure we're going to be do... We're going to do derps. Uh, Wonder Woman will get a derps. Yeah, uh, yeah. Movies. Justice League, obviously. Thor Ragnarok. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes. Oh, Volume yeah. Volume 2. Jeez. Uh, just thinking of... Man, 2017. Yeah. Uh, fucking... I'm not even so super sure about, like, what... What games are coming out. <laughs> Playing WoW for so long, kind of, like... Dulled my my really senses. Um, actually, that that's what I want to give a derpy to. I want to give a derpy to Legion for eating my life. Um. <laughs> you know, I you know I love Legion and I love WoW and I'm really glad that I got back into it. Uh, but uh, yeah, I didn't have a good derpy for it. To a certain extent, I wanted to give it to a derpy to all of the RP that I did, but I kind of feel like that's cheap. Mm. <laughs> so, like, I, I think I could give it a derpy for like eating six months, like. Like eating six months of my life, I think that's that's like an accomplishment, right? Like you know, I, I you know what I'll give it a derpy for. I I think it deserves a derpy for um, like keeping my attention yes. for as long as yeah. it did. Okay, yeah, um, that is fair. Yeah, in a weird way, I kind of think uh, you know, like the fact that I'm still with it and I'm and I'm willing to ride it out into Nighthold now, which is coming out in 
three weeks, I guess. Uh, and I, you know, and I'm pretty pumped for Nighthold. Now I'm not playing a lot of WoW, and I don't plan on playing a lot of WoW over the next couple of weeks. But when Nighthold comes out, uh, I definitely foresee a certain amount of me getting, uh, you know, back into the swing of things because who doesn't want to kill Gul'dan? Um, and uh, you know, like the. Uh, Warlords felt like I played the beginning and the beginning was great and then I left and then I came back for the end and I did all the end stuff that was great. But I kind of feel like I'm going to keep my WoW subscription all the way through 7.2 if 7.2 doesn't take forever. You know, the things that they announced at BlizzCon, those features are really exciting. 7.3 on Argus is really exciting. I don't know. I feel like WoW will be a good background game for me for a long time. The Derpy for game that I'm kind of glad I put, like, I am most glad I put down was League of Legends. I think uh, I think I'm actually kind of this is uh, this is a bad thing to say. I think I'm kind of done with League of Legends. Like yeah. I really don't see myself returning to League of Legends for a really long time, uh, if ever at this point. Um, you know, and and I you know I put a lot of hours into it, and I I love and it's and it's still a good game. But I you know I don't think I'm. It sucks I never hit plat. I think I deserve plat, but I'm not going to sit there and grind out, you know, solo queue uh, in order to, you know, in order to prove that to myself. And, uh, I don't know, farewell League of Legends. You were a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm glad no, that I now have time to play other shit. <laughs> no, I definitely feel that. <coughs> Excuse me. Um. Yeah, I... I, defin I, I definitely feel you. I, I think I'm also never going to... I don't know if I'll never go back to League, but I don't see it happening anytime soon. Um, yeah, it's been, not in the way that we played it for the past oh, yeah. like, three or four years. Yeah. yeah. You know. Um, well, that's the way it goes sometimes. Yeah. yeah, that's the way it goes. Yeah, actually, to be honest, now, I'm, I'm just looking at a release schedule. There's a lot of these... Uh, there's just not a lot of stuff coming out. It really just feels like the big things are For Honor. Um, and, uh, and then in March, uh, we have Mass Effect. I don't know. Maybe I'm missing. I don't know. Maybe I'm missing stuff. Near Automata. Uh, oh I yeah, I am super near fan. I have heard that that. I mean, everyone is super excited about that game. So I watched the Super Best Friends playthrough of Near, and then I watched Super Best Friends play the demo, and I am so pumped. I have. I actually have queued up um, the movie form of Drakengard one, two, and three to watch those, so I can get all my lore. Oh, so I can lorgasm wow, on the. Oh, uh, look at you, lorgasm. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, I feel that. Guardians of the Galaxy is getting its own Telltale series next year. Uh, I'm super. Oh, Injustice 2 comes out next year. Holy shit. Forgot about that. I bought Injustice 1, like, forever ago, but I haven't actually gone back to replay it yet. Um, People are saying that uh, Destiny 2 is going to come out next year, which would be neat. Um, hmm, that would be kind of a little Especially bit if it comes out on PC. Um that would be the yeah i mean i it's such a I, i'm so far removed from uh i'm so far removed from that stuff that i don't know that i can quite care uh red dead redemption 2 it's like listen i love the first red dead redemption but i'm not gonna go buy a stupid uh i'm not gonna go buy an xbox or a ps4 in order to like play it yeah i know what you mean sucks but i mean it is what it is. it's the same thing with final fantasy 15 actually i think uh you know i think i would have loved to get into 15 it sounds like it would be a great first final fantasy essentially for me not not counting the amazing amazing game that is crystal chronicles um but uh you know you call me a nintendo fanboy um <laughs> <laughs> uh, i mean i work at the company i am a, something of a square enix fanboy mm -hmm. 
Deus Ex, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. And I'll go to bat. I'll go to bat for some of those lesser known Squeenix titles. Isn't there this is a Square Enix thing coming out? Oh, that's near that Automata. Um, that that's what yeah, I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, near, yeah, near, yeah. Um, um, but I think that brings us to about time. But yeah, yeah, we have uh, we have exhausted. Uh, we have exhausted. Yeah, so good, good year in excellent year. Some derps. I'm, I'm very proud of us. If uh, uh, if you have any derpies of your own, I am very interested to hear what people's what people's derp like. What are your picks for our categories? Yeah, loyal listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I am super into 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 hearing that kind of stuff. You can email us with your answers at some derpsplaygames at gmail um, You can watch us on twitch.tv slash some derpsplaygames. You can follow. You can comment on SoundCloud. You can rate us on iTunes. Um, anywhere you post anything, we'll read it. So please do tell us what you thought about, um, about, about these categories, about, uh, about your choices and what you're excited for next year. Um, I think that's about it, buddy. Did you have anything you wanted to pimp? I have nothing else that I want to pimp. All right. Well then until next time, dear listeners, until next time, loyal listeners.